we're flying by the seat of our pants every damn day yeah there is another so there was a post that was made very recently on one of the groups where a guy has crossed an ogs to a 50 percent to more 50 percent retic and like i already feel one kind of way about hybrids as in like you know to more to retic but when you start going even further of of half of that and it, and it, it like some of the animals were very obviously um to more python pattern influenced but some of them like there was one specific one in the clutch that kind of just looked like a really funky super dwarf and it just it just made me think like man like this is kind of shitty and this is getting into a really shady zone because what if that animal gets passed on to somebody who isn't forthright about the breeding and then all of a sudden this tamor blood's getting kind of like you know mixed in there i thought that might be something interesting to bring up yeah if, if something like that happened that would be kind of kind of shitty i guess well, um in terms of like that that crossing though i mean them being from the same family of snakes like that's a that's a hybrid that doesn't bother me as much as some other hybrids i guess i've seen yeah and and you've got to think like it, it has to happen in the wild at I'm some sure. point it has to um but in 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 captive propagation it just feels so wrong to go farther than just 50 percent crosses you know I mean, I, now that we're talking about it and we're, we're recording, why don't we just jump into it? And... Uh, yeah, I figured, I mean, <laughs> let's, who, let's who needs an intro when, when we start <laughs> off like that? Right. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about that. Um, you know, we were, we were kind of going on talking about different topics we can bring up today, but Kagan, um, kind of the, the, uh, Coco co-host of this TikTok segment that we're doing just started us off with a, uh, a, a hot topic, hybridization. I, I don't, um, whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart Design. More and more breeders keep showing up at shows on Morph Market and are all over social media. Sometimes it may feel possible to get anyone's attention. Stewart Designs helps small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brands for US Arc, Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of other well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with retics through first working with Garrett Hartle. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level, you're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows, you don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd, and you want to make your own way doing what you love. And also, you have big ideas and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake and have a conversation. To learn more or get started, visit stewartdesignbrands.com or call them at 855-SD-LOGOS. Clear brands own markets. Stewart Design helps create them. 
If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cubed Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best looking cages on the market, but also provide amazing features and add-ons to your cages. We partnered with Focus Cubed Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house our animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animals' comfort and well-being. Visit focuscubedhabitats.com for your animals' caging needs. Again, visit focuscubedhabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures. We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retic Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Looking for the perfect accessories for your hatchlings or juvenile retics? Look no further than Heli Guy Serpents. Our sponsor, Chris Sexton, is coming in hot with an amazing 3D printer, creating top-notch perches and other caging accessories for your beloved pets. Enrich your retics environment with their high-quality products. Use our promo code TRL10 for a 10% discount on your purchase. Visit them today at heliguyserpents.com and start giving your pets the best. Heli Guy Serpents, the premier source for 3D printed caging accessories. Again, that's www.heliguyserpents.com and use our promo code TRL10 for 10% off all of your 3D printed accessories today. Yeah, so like I'm not the biggest fan of hybrids. Um, when it comes to like 50-50s, like I think they look cool. I'll never do it. But once we've already made the hybrids, um, like I, I, why not go that step further and bring in morphs and try to do cool things that look different? Um, I, I like the, the, the first pairing is the part that breaks like my, like, I don't, I don't even know if we want to call it ethical or anything like that, but mm-hmm. like, that's the first part that breaks what I wouldn't want to do or what I don't like doing. Um, so at that point, why not just push it as far as we can go, I guess, is my mindset. If we've already done it once now to your comment about, you know, if it looks like a super dwarf and then it gets passed out, uh, passed out to someone who doesn't know much and they're being misled. Um, I would have to assume that like, you know, Timors are way smaller than retics. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that Timor is actually playing a role in downsizing what the end size potential is going to be. Right. But then also, I think breeding hybrids is way harder than breeding retics. And like, if I was in that position, even if I was a shitty person, um, you're, you're kind of getting less money. If you sell it as like a super dwarf cross and you are getting it as a cross, like it's a lot harder. I would rather my name be attached to a hybridization than trying to miss sell. I mean, there are people that could definitely do that. I'm just yeah. wondering like what that would. Well, and you could just get people that, you know, you get the, the situation of just the person can't handle that snake or whatever and it just changes ownership a couple times and 
no, not even with any malice, it, it gets labeled something else. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I've heard even that the hybrids end up being sterile in some way, or in the case that I saw before, I saw a, um, a retic berm cross that was attempted to be paired to multiple retic females. But interestingly enough, those females never produced hybrid clutches when they actually all parthoed out, which was a really interesting thing to see that pairing this male to them could kind of force them into a parthogenesis clutch. Um, I think the biggest thing I would be concerned about is not so much the 50% crosses, but when you take it that one step further and take the 50%, 50% to another pure retic, and then you have 25% of whatever that hybrid ends up being. And then that kind of just ends up, ends up getting mishmashed in there. I know personally, as me as a, for me as a consumer, I would definitely want to know. And I would be really upset if I ended up finding out that an animal that I purchased had that hybridization in there when I thought that I was buying a pure. Yeah. I think that, I mean, and speaking about the infertile thing, we were just at Bill's, uh, the Carpondros males mm -hmm. are, uh, males are infertile. You know, yeah, you were talking about trying to get to a 75% Carpondro. Yeah, I asked if anyone had ever gotten to a 75% and, or if Bill would try and do that. And he's like, well, that's a male, so I can't. He's infertile. So they've had no success with males, um, you know, producing uh, or, or siring any clutches. I'm sure it could be the opposite for females. I don't know. Um, I forgot what he said, if someone had or not. But, yeah, I guess I... Uh, I guess I just don't see the motivation for someone to mislabel it if they're doing the breedings themselves because it takes way more work to mm -hmm. make hybrids and to continue the percentage of those hybrids than it than it does to just make a superdor. Yeah. Well, the pairing that I was seeing was an OGS to a fifty percent. Is it Timor or Tim Tim Timor? Timor. Timor. It was an OGS to a fifty percent Timor, fifty percent retic which would make the offspring uh, het OGS 25% Timor, 75% retic. Um, but those animals are now het OGS. So if cool as hell. they look really neat, honestly, I, I was... I want to find them now. I'll see if I can send you the picture. They were beautiful. I mean, I think like, and that that's where my curiosity has, like I said, not the biggest fan of hybrids. I don't judge the people who make them. Again, I think they look really cool, but not my thing, but that's, that's where my interest peaks. It's like, now let's start seeing more supplied to these hybrids. Like that's cool. Yeah. I mean, like, so there was something I actually shared on our discord on the Patreon. I shared a, a, a link that someone, uh, had just made, uh, uh, blood Python, uh, and ball Python hybrids. And I know that that's a pretty common one that's been done, but there were some morphs in the mix and they, one of the morphs looked pretty crazy on there and it's, it's crazy the the, you know, genetic range of like what the, like there's one of them that had like a blood head, mm -hmm. like that looked like a blood. And then there was one that literally just looked like a ball Python. And actually that one was like the normal ball Python more like. I have worked with those specifically and I can tell you that they store up their crap just like blood pythons. They don't poop like ball pythons. No, they store it up. And then all at once, they'll let it go. No, thank you. Um, 
I, those are pretty cool, but I mean, it just goes to show just like, man. And again, this goes back to like the, the discussion that the discourse that's been hot about genes and genetics and, and what's passed to the offsprings as far as size and everything. I mean, you look just like you take, you took a, uh, you know, either a Borneo or a blood to a ball Python and you have animals that look just like ball pythons. And then you have animals that look just like bloods and then you have the in between. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that component plays, a, a, I think, you know, we talk about potential length size when it comes to like the super dwarf and the mainland and, and crossing them and, um, Mm-hmm. Maybe Did that's you see that picture? Dumb me to say. Yep, I saw that clutch. I think Nathan's trying to play around right now with getting it up on the screen. Mm. They look so fucking cool. So the one in the bottom left really, I mean, that looks just like um, some of the, I saw a uh, 43.75 percent Kalatoa het ocelot clutch and that animal looks very similar to how those animals looked with like the really small offset circular pattern on the dorsal stripe and just kind of like the chaotic nature of the pattern right that's like the only normal looking animal from the clutch mm-hmm. dude that one on the top left that is top just left jet silver mm-hmm mm-hmm did we just did we just like make an Annery Super Timor? So like did like the was the Timor hat Annery? Right. Who Jesus. knows? I mean that one was a fifty percent Timor, fifty percent retic. So it who knows what it, what it had hidden in there. So I can definitely see like some pros and cons to having hybrids because. If you're hybrid, if you're hybridizing a retic with a smaller animal, you're getting the look of a retic, the the personality of a retic, and a smaller package, which is pretty nice. You know, if you're, you know, I, I guess that cross would end up ultimately being about the same price as like a pure super dwarf or something. So I guess it's kind of like a, a toss up on on between the two. But hybrids can also have really cool, unique patterns. Um, having that influence of that animal in there can can definitely trick out what it looks like and that can be really cool yeah the um, body structure, would just head be, structure yeah head structure can be really cool the, scale structure the mm-hmm. price for the super timors that i was quoted at <laughs> they were 4500 yeah so they're more than a super dwarf yeah um mm-hmm. yeah so i mean yeah i mean like the cons like why for me like just why that's like my cons why uh and the pros is they're cool <laughs> like like <Yeah>. they look cool <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's interesting that we can do that uh, I, but I personally always thought that like a retic ball hybrid would be pretty cool i know i've seen like the berm ball hybrids at, at least like when it comes to like again just like ethics or morals whatever has to do when it comes to hybrids um at least timors and retics are both maleo python Mm-hmm. right so again that's i'm speaking ignorantly like cool their scientific name starts with the same part but maybe is it because they're same partly related like, right it, it makes more sense right it does yeah instead of taking like a ball python found in freaking africa right you know and and you know uh, you know 
skipping a rock several seas over to get to well, and then a, a pretty arboreal snake to a, a ground dwelling snake so mm-hmm. um but they look cool and um i find them as like collectors like for the people who end up buying them yeah yeah like bat eaters look crazy oh yeah um like they look so crazy and cool but like also their eyes scare me <laughs> like i mean do they not they look insane they are insane. I would the have bat to see, one that I dealt to with see was... if it's scarier than the carpondro it builds. <laughs> that thing that... just wants to, looks like eat it wants you. to eat all the time. In, the... In a, the, the carpet and Morelia head structures with those huge muscles, even though they're smaller, <laughs> they just look deadly. Beefy. Yeah. <laughs> Always keeping it beefy. <laughs> oh, man. You said you dealt with one before? Yes, his name was William. And while his his name is very Freaking gentlemanly, William. William was the farthest thing from a gentleman ever. He just wanted to eat and bang. <laughs> Around your neck. Yes. <laughs> no, he was he was he was the kind of animal that was just you couldn't turn it off. Um food response was always on. And so it was also just dangerous to put him in with a female because, you know, he was always looking for any kind of movement. So, you know. Yeah, no crazy thanks. Guy. But he threw parth like he made the females that he bred throw partho clutches clutches, which was really cool. <laughs> I'm wondering if that has to go back to like males being infertile, but like locking. And mm-hmm. so so um you know, there's me and Glenn McLean. We're talking on the phone. I have a uh, wild caught uh, male Kalatoa that he sent me because he had to move to Florida. This is a male that's passed several hands. This is a male that you know what? I, it was somewhere before Eric Lee, but Eric Lee had the male for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, and tried breeding it out. And uh, not sure if I m- maybe one of the clutches and Eric can comment on here if he wants to correct me. One of the clutches, maybe it threw a partho. Um, Garrett never got it to breed. And so um, I'm thinking like if females are susceptible and they make parthos more often than others, like for example, my wild caught Kalatoa, she had a partho last season. And I'm pretty sure my very first ever pairing with her was also a partho based off of like comparing the two. Mm-hmm. Um and so, like, I'm wondering if you have an infertile male, like, for people who want to maybe intentionally throw a partho, um, if you have, like, gene-stacked female, and, you know, if it's, like, a, I don't know, het endocarmel, um, you know, motley sunfire, mm-hmm. you know, and you throw a partho, partho then you, you make visual endocarmel, super sunfire mm-hmm. motleys and super motleys. And so I'm wondering if that, like, if anyone's ever thought about, like, Oh, well, this male's infertile and this female's likely to lay and then just yeah. do the pairings to encourage that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, man, I'd really like to throw that male to uh, my double head ocelot purple girl. and just make- Wait, was that was that on the phone with you? Were we talking about that? We talked about it on one of the Discord Zoom meetings. Oh, that's right. Um, okay. And that was probably after mine and Glad's conversation. It had gotten brought up and I was like, Lucas, you should totally throw him to females to see if they partho out and you were like oh snap maybe i should i got i mean i got boring females i got locality females <laughs> aren't, aren't there problems with uh reproduction on partho babies though 
no so with so for example one of the 2020 clutches of slayers that was produced was from a partho female to a wild caught male she laid a great clutch or, or i wouldn't say it was a great clutch but some of the babies survived brian farley has one of them uh garrett hartle i think held back to garrett hartle has also uh bred a partho female before with no issues okay um so i think from my observation on just my single clutch that like a bunch of babies hatched out and they were all females. It was a partho clutch. Um, I realized the ones that made it past six months are acting like any other retake I've ever produced. And all the other ones that didn't make it to six months, they, you know, died off and just didn't make it. And so um, I feel like if they make it to breeding age, you know, but that's not like a scientific thing or that's this just me spitballing and, and just right. thinking loosely. Someone probably has a lot more experience with that, but I do know that partho females have bred several, several times. So the, the partho clutches I've seen have either been very apparent right from the get-go that they are going to be failure to thrive animals, or they've been very strong. So I saw a, um, a marble female partho out and she made super marbles. Uh, I think it was about seven animals every single one of them ended up not making it. I want to say most of them didn't make it two weeks. And then one single one of them made it about six months and then just randomly, I mean, looked fantastic. I thought this animal was going to go the distance, uh, was eating great, no problems with bowel movements. And then all of a sudden one day she just was just dead in her enclosure. And um, I've also seen uh, it was a, the animals ended up being uh, all white albino and some were just plain whites and then some were super tigers. But I don't know if the fact that they were super tigers ended up having a play in the fact that they didn't thrive or not. Cause you know, sometimes supers just have a little bit of issues in there. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like they either are or are not going to thrive. I mean, like there's no like in between. Uh, and do they, do they throw mostly female clutches? So a partho clutch is, are you asking like if the babies would throw partho? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That no, I no, don't no. know. If most of the babies end up female that, from see, a partho clutch. That'd so, be cool. So yeah, all the babies in a partho clutch end up, end up female. Ooh, one crazy thing that I did see, I've only ever seen this once, was um, I want to say the the term for it is androgenesis, androgenesis, mm -hmm. where yeah. it's the male's uh, genetics that get replicated and and none of the females genetics are at play that was very cool to see that fun fact um and i consulted with several people about this uh and i was i i was told that it happened to uh aubrey once and shane once but i bred that ocelot mm -hmm. to that tiger mm -hmm. and she laid 25 eggs 24 of them hatched um and 20 the 25th one when I cut the egg that started going bad late in incubation mm -hmm. and pulled out that baby, I sent the pictures over to Aubrey and to Shane and other people that, you know, supposedly had experience like this male partho thing. Now, suppose that, you know, when I talked to the people who had experienced it before, they said it's typically only one or two eggs in the entire clutch that mm -hmm. show the male's hormones. But the baby that I had cut, and that died in the egg. It didn't have the color pigmentation, but it looked like a visual ocelot. 
it had the ocelot patterning it was really cool i can probably try to find up pictures on my phone and maybe attach it to that oh that's awesome that's crazy i'm I'm, i'd really like to see that too. i'm shocked that we're just hearing about that now no nathan we talked about this (laughs) Uh, well okay shitty memory (laughs) maybe i need to hit my head hard no i i I, I, unlock some of these memories i i sent it on the discord (laughs) okay well you know how bad i can be at the Discord. that's true um but yeah no i i as a matter of fact um you know, probably before we get off this call later, I'll send it to you to refresh. But yeah, it was really freaking crazy and cool. But um, yeah, from my experience, again, just touching on the whole Partho thing. Now, um, uh, Dr. Warren Booth has done extensive research on Parthos, and he informed me that lifespan of Parthos typically are less. But I don't know how much data, how much research, I don't know uh i simply just don't have more information on those findings how many animals were studied and tracked or um but that was a statement he made that i found interesting that is interesting People i wonder why on and talk about it sometime yeah as a matter of fact i think he said he was down he like i'm we, sure he would be he's super accessible he's a great guy yeah he's awesome we could do a partho uh parthenogenesis episode that'd be really cool That'd be really cool. Um, oh, uh, before we get too far away from it, just because you mentioned something, Kagan, about the super tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this got brought up on our Discord, but I-, I know we all should have some experience with tigers at this point. Do you think tigers have a predisposition to be a little bit more feisty, snappy than the other snakes? Yeah, so so Lucas and I were just talking about this the other day on the phone because I was asking about his uh, his ocelot clutch, and um, I've I've definitely noticed that that some not all, but some mm-hmm. tigers have you know if you have a clutch of tigers and normals, it tends to be the tigers that are just a little bit more. Yum, yum, yum. I, I like to say that because I have a, a couple tigers that kind of have that attitude and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my, my biggest one, I like to say that she thinks with her mouth before her brain and then lets it all kind of come about mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think we've seen that in, you know, so when you're first establishing a uh, genetic from the wild or, or, you know, trying to ca- propagate it for the first time, we saw that in pides a lot, right? When, when pides oh, yeah. were first coming in, that they were just kind of grumpy you know they they didn't really want to be handled they didn't want to be messed with they would buck a lot um pee a lot they've definitely gotten a lot better but oh and there's still examples of it even with some of the animals that are being bred oh for sure for sure but yeah Um, they're getting way better they're definitely getting way better absolutely but yeah, I know tigers can be a little snappy. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, and I mean, Sean could could vouch for this because oftentimes if he's over before I even like get home, I'll be like, yeah, just start working on the hatchling rack. And before it was like nearly 100% of the tigers, and now there's only a few that like they're warming up to us. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, there was, so that, that clutched 24 animals, 17 of them were tigers. Um, Holy cow. And out of those 17, like every, almost every single one, I'd open up that tub. And even like the first trials of offering food, 
you know, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm wiggling in front of their face and I'm moving it and doing my little maneuvers and all they're doing is just mouth wide open, just mouth mm-hmm. gaped open, looking at me, yep. head cocked back in that F shape. Um, strike, but the normals. But yeah, no, no, like, I don't think a normal did it. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe once or twice, but no, the normals would actually like strike and like, you know, would actually be like, no, get, get the hell away from me. These were mm-hmm. just literally like open mouth trying to run away from you. When they struck at you, they wouldn't like clamp they would just like like just like hit you and then back off and like um and it I made it a lot of my tiger hatchlings like when you go to do that and they do that open mouth thing they'll also focus their attention not on the prey item in the tongs but you your face your eyes they're yep. looking at my eyes 100 percent. it's almost like a cobra thing um seriously um and yeah, I mean, it was funny trying to get some of them established to eat because it just the entire time, like I literally was like at that point, I was trying to aim the head like down the back of their throat while they kept their mouth open. I was just like, come on, please. <laughs> like I was trying to just jam it in there. Please bite it. Well, honestly, so just on a little aside, um, one of the best ways to get a really stubborn feeder uh, to take a prey item if they're known for dropping is to get them to clamp onto the head of the prey item, like specifically like the nose face area. Cause if they're already on that, on that nose, they'll just kind of keep working from there. But if you offer that rat and they bite the shoulder, they're more likely to drop and then get disoriented, confused, and then wander the enclosure, not knowing where the prey item is. I, I have my grandpa clutch that I have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll do that but then like as i'm closing they'll let go because they get startled and and i do the same thing but like i'll offer them the second like if they let go of it with their mouth and the tub is still open and they're wrapped i just offer the other one Mm -hmm. um and that way it's like they don't miss because they're already wrapped around the other one so i definitely make sure that i like put the head right into that that mouth area nathan did you have any drop feeders uh so I have one right now that uh, for whatever reason uh, only wants live at the moment. And so, yeah, he's not tongue feeding. You're just drop feeding. And then mm-hmm. uh, as far as the frozen thawed stuff, I have one that's dropping its food. But it, I mean, it, even if you get it head first, it's it's not always wanting it. So that one's been a little tricky. Did Is drop feeding refer to something that i so i whenever you've said drop feeding to me i just assume that you're talking about dropping the food item into the tub and letting the gotcha yeah i and yeah i guess that's my so i guess when i say drop feed like when i have a drop feeder is typically they'll eat they'll wrap and they'll drop their meal and leave it oh okay um yeah but that makes yours makes more sense yeah i have one right now oh no, this is a, I think this is a one-time thing and I think it just needed to poop and shed, but, uh, <laughs> I had one that I was feeding on live, killed the live and then dropped it. But I think next week we'll be savage. Fine. It's like, leave me alone. I'm trying to shed and just kills it. And doesn't <laughs> it. So I see it. Dude. Oh, I just murdered it. Poor thing. Do you, uh, so when you guys feed, do you offer the prey item on tongs and, get them to bite and constrict and then like shake and wiggle? Or do you, I know Nathan, you'd said you gently place one of the prey items in one of the enclosures. How do you guys tend to kind of do that? That's just, that's just with live. I, I, I wiggle and then let them bite constrict. And then 
if they have a really strong food response and I know that snake's pretty likely to just bite and eat, um, I'll just let it go. But if it's a more troublesome feeder, I'll let them constrict a little bit more and wiggle it after they start constricting. Mm. I've been, I've been trying and kind of experimenting with something with my animals, which is when I offer them a prey item, unless it's like a, a, a animal that kind of has the tendency to drop, um, where they kind of need that more stimulation to wrap and then want to eat. I'll typically just very gently hand it to them and not shake at all. And it seems like it is reducing their prey drive. Like their want to just smash the glass and, and go really ham. Um, I think I'll it give has that to... a shot because the one, it, it does seem like it, an excitedness, like kind yeah. of a response. Because yeah. you open up the cage and it's it's ready to strike again, ready to yeah. take another. I, I I have my so like the the ones that I have that are like they drop their prey and stuff. I have like a, a special color tape that I tape on the outside of them, and I leave them to feed last. Yeah. So that I'm out of the way. So yeah. that I'm not continuing going through the rack. But typically, when I have hatchlings, I'm always wiggling after and just kind of stimulating just to kind of get them to squeeze harder and. Um. But no, that that's about the only time that I do that. After they've taken a few meals, um, I stop doing that. I mean, with my bigger animals, they typically lunge yeah. out the cage, and just me basically picking them up and throwing them back in the. Well, I place <laughs> them, I set them back in their cage. I feel mm -hmm. like that's that's stimulating, like <laughs> like the animals moving them. Right. I'm kind of I'm kind of torn between it though, because like on one hand, um, I, I you know listening to that one episode that you guys did on enrichment, um, feeding absolutely is a, an enriching experience for an animal. And it's like, it's their favorite thing to do. They love to eat. So unless you're taking, a ball python. Well, <laughs> taking, I don't know, man, mine, mine smash, <laughs> like every single one of mine is on it. They don't even need it at like 98 degrees. They just they, room temperature. A-okay. Um, as long as it's not frozen, we're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get that. <laughs> so like, I'm kind of torn between it. Cause like on one hand, I want to, you know, provide these animals with a little bit of extra enrichment in their day, things that get them excited feeding. On the other hand, it's like, man, if I have a really, really, uh, fearsome animal that is, that is, uh, excited about food, maybe I just want to lessen that a little bit and just gently try and get them to change the way that they behave with food yeah i mean totally i and, and again like on the topic of enrichment you know feeding's not the only way so mm -hmm. you don't have to, for those animals it makes sense not to use uh feeding as the form of enrichment but something else that kind of that's a great little segue into our next topic which is um seeing animals behaviors change now that we're kind of entering into breeding season don't you love how like she's got everything organized and me and you just like we, we've winged this so many times that we're just like <laughs> i love it oh, it reminds me of a, a show i watch it's it's kind of funny um but... no don't L listen the first interview that that lucas and i did he was like are you ready and i'm like Lucas, I have 15 pages of notes. I thought she was joking. And then she looked at her notebook and she started flipping through pages. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Oh. 
but now it's it's so it's been a really I want to just say a delightful experience for me to um have my collection right and my collection is starting to come into uh breeding age and so for the first time I'm seeing these animals start to express um behaviors that they wouldn't normally have just because their hormones are starting to come up and, and, you know, they're, they're wanting to breed. So specifically I have a female that, um, I've had her since she was about hatchling age, always popped female. I've never once thought that, you know, anything other than the fact that she was female, but all of a sudden this, uh, breeding season, she started arching. And I don't mean just like a regular female arching. I mean like male arching just all over the enclosure. Every time you touch like her, she would back touching the ceiling type of thing. Yes. Back to the ceiling, just whole body. And so I saw her doing that. And it was actually when I offered her food once she started arching for the first time like that. And I was like, what is getting into you? I ended up ordering a probe kit for the first time. Um, just so I could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she was female. And it turns out, yes, she is. Um, and, I, and I have seen females exhibit that kind of behavior before, just not to that extreme. So it was really, really interesting just to see how extreme her behavior was with, with that, you know. Have you ever had a female do that before, Nathan? Uh, my Annery will almost do that, like halfway do that when she's getting really close to cycling um she's getting to the point right now where you know she's getting touchier by the day and she's definitely like throwing throwing like bucks that are mm -hmm. you know a foot high when you're trying to get her out but my turn eight females doing that <laughs> it's fun it's fun but uh <laughs> no once you get her out and really get her moving she's generally okay just you know she doesn't want doesn't want it at this time of the year she wants food and to be left alone yep my um my turn eight female is the first year that she's cycling and um i uh she's like four almost four and a half and um she is one that has a feeding response to no end like she's one of like she's not even close to my largest retake but she's one that sean knows you don't ever touch her without me being there because she's someone who you can turn her food response. She's fine and dandy. You can be holding her for five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden we'll lock, like we'll just wrap your arm, turn around and you know that you better have something in between you and her, her head. Mm -hmm. um, but last time I opened up her enclosure, like nothing was just laying there. I was almost like, is she dead? <laughs> um and then when i Maybe touched she her she has the exact opposite response when cycling no no, no. Well, well well then when i touched her it was the first time that she just like she hit that hook so hard it it smacked the top of her cage and i was like oh shit mm -hmm. um and so i like put my hand in there to grab her um and she's bucking off my hand and i'm not worried about her biting me at this point because again like i i know food response and i like she's never been defensive um and so like she was bucking my hand and then I decided to kind of tickle her back a little bit and she started like raising her back up mm -hmm. like an arch mm -hmm. and I was and then when I finally got her out and I put her in her tub to soak as I was cleaning her enclosure and I opened up the tub I saw just a centralized huge swelling and I was like oh okay so you're cycling 
Um, and just so happens that, uh, me and Sean were feeding the snakes and I just thought one out for her. And, uh, I went to go feed her and saw that she was in shed. I was like, Oh, this is a good sign. I mean, she had that swelling and now she's going into a shed. Yeah. And I went to go offer her the rat and like, it took a lot of persistence for her to finally take it. But I think mm-hmm. that that might be her last meal. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as like seeing a female do it, I mean, they'll always buck, but I've never seen a female ever. Like I've never doubted like, Oh, this looks like male behavior. Yeah. Um, now, have have y'all ever had like when a female's acting touchy like this, steal a hook from you with one of their bucks? Oh, like dude. completely take the hook into their enclosure. Yeah, that's always mm-hmm. fun too. Yeah. No, I've I've have had backups, kids. I've had an instance where a female has smacked my hand to the top of the enclosure so hard, I was like, "Dang, did did she fracture something? Like this, this really hurts." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Especially that when must they have get been like a big girl. Foot. Oh yeah, no, for sure. No, so, they get like have you noticed? Foot, they have weight behind them. Have you noticed a big difference in terms of just uh, I don't know animal behavior, being that it's your own collection and not a giant collection now? Yeah. So so that's that's kind of the really exciting part is that so before <laughs> I, th- I thought I'm... she was gonna say that's my other note that it was on here. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, that's a good question. Thank God. <laughs> well, so so before, you know, I was dealing with with so many animals that it's it it would just kind of get lost in the masses. You know, you're not really focusing and prioritizing one singular one or you know a group of twenty. You're looking at, or I was looking at, way too many. Um, so so now that I've I have this really specific collection and I'm getting to know the animals, that's it's it's in a lot of ways really invigorated uh, uh, the passion again because it's like wow I get to learn you as an individual and and find out exactly what makes you tick and now I'm learning the things that you do very specifically that you do in in you know in your time of year and breeding behavior so I have one female she's she's always been a little snippety snappity but typically once you turn her food response off and bring her out she calms down it's not the case where she's going to turn around and decide that she wants to bite you again but all of a sudden in like the last month or so she is just on it all the time like it doesn't matter you i have to i actually had to put newspaper over the front of her enclosure today because i was i finished cleaning her enclosure got her back in and she was just pop 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 in the glass and i was just like man you're you're gonna hurt your face like there's so much spittle on this freshly cleaned glass ma'am um you know yeah. what you should do hmm. feed her feed her oh yeah no i have a <laughs> rabbit falling in the other room now because i was like okay well the only way to calm you down is to literally thaw you a meal and she's one of the ones that i would um one of the few that i would like to actually purposefully breed this year so which, you know, with everything going on, I've definitely drastically uh, changed my breeding plans after kind of just like the state and climate of the retic industry and really wanting to avoid overproduction and everything. I've really taken a step back and said, okay, well, what pairings do I really purposefully want to aim towards and which ones can I forego, you know? And, and I have an animal now um, that I had originally wanted to breed this year, but now I'm just like, you know what? 
I don't need to breed her this year. She can take the year off. That, that's how I feel about my Philippine. I was wanting to make a pure Philippine clutch, um, but I'm selling a pure Philippine and Philippine tribal clutch. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was kind of bumping up her feeding a little bit, but I was like, you know what? Let me just pump the brakes. Um, even though she doesn't have a big clutch. Yeah. Um, cause they lay huge eggs. I mean, last year I think she laid only 12 eggs. Um, and she hasn't really gained any size, um, from last year to this year, but yeah, I mean, it going back to like the behavior and observation, it's really cool, um, to, to see the differences. And when you pay attention, cause I can imagine when you're doing it for a shit ton of animals, it's just basically like the only thing you're paying attention to is feeding, yeah. um, for the most part. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite things. It's like, you know, I have, um, you know, one snake that I'll always completely go off of food. I have another snake that has like that pre ovulation shed and then has like one or two more meals. That's my Kaniwadi. And then she goes off. And then, um, my Philippine does not go off of food, but like you can see the, you can see the follicular swell. So that's, I know I have to look at her body Mm -hmm. for when she's ready. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was what it was like for my Slayer. She had just had a big meal. Um, and then I offered her a little bit smaller of a meal and she ate, but then like she, the, my males were just going crazy above her. And I was like, you know what, let me just put in a male in her enclosure. And she, he was just going absolute nuts. And then he mm-hmm. locked with her for like two straight days of off and on locking. And then was on the opposite side of the enclosure yep. for three, four days. I took him out. I tried putting him back in opposite side of the enclosure and then she mm-hmm. just blew up and so he's it was like, literally perfect timing he's like, he was I, like bro I, my I, job is done yeah he's like bro i'm confident <laughs> first time breeder I, be here again. I, miss. I know what i got that, that that was his first time being with a thick woman like he was like she is huge and he is so small and that was the first time he was ever with a female and he got it done like this he's like you oh don't think God. i got that michael phelps in me right That's- that's really awesome that like that's the first time so it's funny that you bring that up because i'm trying to get my um normal het ocelot het mocha pos het anthrax male to breed this season right and so i've been doing really gentle introductions to females with him uh, sorry females with him yeah to just to kind of gauge how receptive he is and like the first time i paired it or i you know put him in with a girl he was kind of like, mm, what do I do? I'm a little scared. Ended up hiding in the corner. The second time he was like, ooh, okay. Started arching around, kind of getting his groove on. And then this most recent time, so it's the third time, I put him in with my um, Sunfire double het um, anthrax albino or mocha female. And he started like lining his tail up with hers really like pushing her around kind of getting in the groove but it was really funny because um he was kind of you know getting their vents lined up and he was like i was like okay dude what you you know and then he just all of a sudden averted his hemipenes ejected sperm plugs and then it was like he got mad about it right and then he just like oh and then slung his tail and all of a sudden there's sperm plugs on the other side of the enclosure and i'm like okay well you know what some guys have that problem. It's okay, T- buddy. Typical we'll male response. <laughs> typical male response. Men, we are not that far from being retics. <laughs> you you saw Lucas double over. You saw me nodding my head. I was just thinking in my head, like that sounds we like the perfect react. That sounds like the perfect like virgins having sex for the first time, and like just just the tip, and then just like 
That's oh no. <laughs> Sorry. But it's it's in complete contrast <laughs> to my other male oh, who is actually a little older than him. This guy is like he's in his enclosure and he's like smelling the females above and below him that are getting ready to cycle and he's like, "Ooh, okay so he's pushing now all of a sudden i wake up one day and his mouth is all puffed up and i'm like okay dude well let me introduce you to a female this is what you want right and he goes in and he's like mm, i i don't know i'm scared and then he just you know like he like goes over like he's interested and then she'll do like one very gentle like little shrug and he's like okay i won't do it anymore i'm sorry <laughs> it's like okay mister <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is where we welcome our new sponsor. If you have ED, please go to hymns.com. <laughs> this not is precisely why we mark not for kids on YouTube. <laughs> right. Right here. Um, um, so, Nathan, I feel like I know most of Lucas's intended pairings. What are yours? You, well, I mean, I keep my collection extremely small. I. Uh, you have... said just a small, but now that you saw mine, you added the word extremely <laughs> oh, in front of it. Oh, it's extremely small. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, come over, Lucas. You'll see. I mean, you can see behind me. It's it's what you got. Uh, I have three females that uh, are breeding age. Uh, I have an 87.5% uh, tiger from Daniel Solis, uh, Kalatoa. Uh, I I still don't think I'm going to breed her. She's starting to get good size to her, but she's just stayed incredibly small. So I think I'm going to give her until about six years old until I uh, pair her. Um, and then the two girls that I'm planning to breed this year, both 75% Kalatoa, 12.5% Jampea. Uh, my purple head annery girl again. Uh, Is that the one from Richard? Uh, no, that one's from Eric Lee. That was my okay. first animal. Okay. Um, she will probably be bred to one of her offspring from two years ago. Uh, a golden child, platinum, uh, sun tiger, het snow. Mm, nice. Yeah. I really, so, I really like platinum and annery together. Oh yeah. Uh, Theron Lance got one of the best platinum anneries from that clutch. It was like green. Mm-hmm. When I like when they have the green because I've also seen some older platinum anneries that end up just looking silver and like a faint yellow and like you can see that the platinum gets washed out with age, but the ones that have a lot of green to it, it only like enhances. I almost bought that animal back, but I just wasn't in the position to when he was getting rid of it. How how old are your females, Nathan? Uh, eight years old on the purple, uh, seven years old on the annery. And then, or maybe I'm off by a year. It might be seven, six, and uh, five on those okay. three girls that I just listed. Nice. Does it seem like, I think I've heard this before, that um, super dwarf animals tend to be a little older when they first cycle than mainlands? Is that right? From everything I've heard in like anecdotal evidence from like Lucas breeding that ocelot male, uh, yeah, it seems like you can get the males to go a lot faster. It's insane. Uh, fe females, it sounds like you can get to go faster, but I only have you I, know, experience I, with the Superdor stuff. So I would... I, I've been told four years, and that's when I first attempted my, my first mm -hmm. pairing was four years. And her, her body structure was looking good. She was developing, you know, some 
decent like fat I guess not fat but you know just tone that you want to mm -hmm. see in that midsection when you're starting to pair oh yeah I I can I can so like I my Kaiwati had some like she she was starting to kind of get that like maturity size to her at around three and a half getting a little thick um and so i tried and the male was tickling up on her but she was never receptive and so i pumped it back and then i tried again uh, about like six eight months later after she was four uh and she ended up didn't breeding... i even tell you back then like just from all the advice i was getting i was like lucas she's too young she's too young um i mean yeah i was just you know i wanted to Give it a shot. No, um, I, 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 I did was, that with with a couple of my first ball pythons. I just wanted to see what happened. I was exciting. I, I mean, miss uh, all the shots you don't take, Nathan, or the yeah. ones you end up on the wall. With. I agree. I or you agree. know what? I, I'm going to tell you what I told one of my clients today. I, I told them I was like, we talk to ourselves more than we talk to anyone else, and you listen to yourself more than you listen to anyone else. So I was listening to myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so be nice to yourself, people. <laughs> Um, okay. So yeah, no. And then when I bred her at four and a half now, you know, Malin's definitely females can breed at, at three, three and a half and stuff like that. Like, but, but also I feel like people have pushed their Malin's way more than they pushed like a pure super door. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering how it would work for a cross. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, right now I'm pretty damn sure my 50% Kalatoa, uh, Motley, Henry Motley is going to cycle and she is like three years, eight months right now mm -hmm. or something along those lines. So uh, I'm pretty sure she's getting close to the tail end of like when she's going to get off of food, she has been looking bigger in her back third and um, she's going to be paired to the ghost. So hopefully we get some 25% Kalatoa and the good old 6.25% Jampea <laughs> Motley double heck ghost snow or blizzard or one step uh, white walkers to the ghost thraxalot. a lot. The, the ghost thrax a lot yeah yeah i told nathan we can call it the the ghost thrax a lot and you get a free oxalotl if you buy one um but yeah that that's one of my my pairings i'm i'm most excited for and even though it's only 25 percent, you got to start somewhere um, are those the ones that you wanted to call stormtroopers no that's the tiger ocelot oh that's right okay. didn't jay already call one of his animals stormtroopers <laughs> If it wasn't the tiger ocelot, then it's irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Google tiger ocelot reticulated python. You're going to come up with a picture that has two snakes on there. The one on the left is a sunfire ocelot. The one on the right is a tiger ocelot. And tell me that doesn't look like a freaking stormtrooper, okay? Um, <laughs> but... um. Yeah, I mean that. Well, no, that was the second one that I was most excited for. The first one I just got the eggs from, which was Pierce Layers. Um, I, I've told many people in the past if I like complete had a bust for every single pairing, but my Salayers went, it would be my like most memorable season yet. Mm. So hopefully these eggs survive. Congratulations again! It's it's incredibly fantastic that you managed to get those animals to breed and produce a healthy clutch. Um, I don't want to say managed to get them to, because you know what? You did a lot of things right with that clutch. Um, you very specifically. Um, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. There's the stormtrooper <laughs> on the right. 
I, okay. I, I was able to share one picture throughout this. But it's <laughs> right throughout the whole thing. Through, because it's going through browser, I need to, to fiddle around a little bit more with the stuff I have saved to my computer. Yeah. Not get, a fan of the it. Sunfire, but that tiger is phenomenal. Yeah. No, I wasn't a fan of the Sunfire. Stormtrooper Storm to me needs to be more black and white. It, the only thing not black and white is the head. <laughs> well, hey, let it age a little bit and see how it develops. Yeah, I think, I think you're going to see a lot of green on that animal. Jay is hiding a lot. He's got to have Ocelot and Kodom combos and stuff off the yin-yang. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, oh, what happened? Oh, there we go. Okay. I got it. I got um, it. Don't you worry your little heart. <laughs> oh, it has, you know it has to be symmetrical. Um, I gotta go back to drawing my squares. We are defaulted to the big one that likes to cover all our stuff. I made it pretty again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, but I was gonna say, Kagan, I don't think you're off that. Like, I managed to do it because I, I got that female like four months ago. Mm -hmm. Well, so um, what? What's yeah, cool... but from, from the moment you got that animal, you said, "Okay, I'm gonna change the conditions in which I'm attempting to breed this animal." Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean. Okay, I have heard from several people. I don't know how accurate this is, but there's a question that I can ask that would kind of maybe back up maybe some of the people's statements as valid. Um, that Solaires are have been known to be difficult to like to make a pure Solaire clutch. We've seen crosses before. We've seen female Solaires breed to you know mainland morphs and things like that. But for some reason, um, they were popping and probably one of the more popular ones back in 2011, 2012. Nice. Oh, Nathan. Um, but then, um, I, like they, no one was able to produce them or that we saw for a while. You know, there was two clutches in 2022, but I tried looking online before that nowhere to be found, but they have egg bound issues. Um, they've had, um, uh, like, Chris McVicker had tried and Aubrey tried with the same female and they, she would slug out. And, and so, um, I automatically, when I think that like a retake is like a, or a locality or whatever, it's like not breeding. Well, my first thought goes back to like a statement I've always said, which was retakes are kept too hot. Mm -hmm. So I decided this year for breeding season, I was going to drop the temperatures more like last year. I had my garage like 83, 84. This year, I had my garage more at like 81, 82-ish, and then peaking up to 83, maybe touching 84. Um, and so from the time I got her, um, up until when she laid her eggs, my garage temperature average was 82.6, I believe. Um, and whenever I... Yes, and I said 82.5. Yeah, you were, you were 0.1 off. Um, and... Uh, so the cooler temperatures, I think, definitely um, helped her. And this is a female who has bred twice before, good clutches, and she breeds every three years. She had her first clutch at seven, second clutch at 10, and I got her and she had her third clutch at 13. Um, and so she laid 20, no, she laid 32 eggs, eight slugs, um, and 24 beautiful eggs. And that was one of the things that I really honed in and paid attention on was let's try to drop these temps. And that started with like, you look at Slayer Island and you look at the average temperatures there and they don't even get to like the mid fifties often. Like it's typically in the lower eighties and then dropping down to 78 at night. Um, 
at night I would let it get into like 79 at times 80. Probably my nighttime low average was probably the low 80s, like 80.4 or 5. Um, and uh, it, and what's crazy is I was talking um, or I was thinking about it and then we talked about it on the phone is what what if, if Slayer females cannot, like they can breed with other morphs and stuff, like and we've seen that happen. I was like, wait, like we always have an emphasis as breeders to, to think about female, right? Right. Like we're always thinking about what we did right or wrong with the female. And then males were just like, meh, like males are males, right? They arch and they're good breeders. But like, what if males with a hot spot of 88 or even like people that, you know, a lot of people are still keeping their retics at a 90 hot spot without a big enough enclosure. What if the males are just overheating and they're and leaving sperm to- goes sterile? Right. And so, yes. so really I mean, interesting point. It, it could have been advantageous for the male um, to the keep it laptop cool. on the lap theory. Right. Exactly. <laughs> My mama told me never wear briefs too many days in a row. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it's actually quite fascinating. And I can't say if it was even my temperatures, maybe, maybe this whole thing about Slayers being hard to breed is not accurate, but then I, you got to ask, like, if they were one of the more common, uh, localities out there, where did they all like, why don't we see more of them? Where did they, why, like me as a locality nerd, I can't find more than two mm-hmm. unrelated lines. Mm-hmm. So, I- so Jason Peacock produced a clutch, right? First clutch ever over in the UK. Did you talk to him at all? Uh, not yet, but he did. He messaged me and said, congrats. So I'll probably, I'll, I meant yeah, to, it'd be but interesting to compare notes, see, see what worked for him, what worked for you, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I was very interested to see that the egg size weight size of the eggs, they were a little bit more than I thought they would be. Um, mm-hmm. but pretty close to turn eight size eggs basically around the same anywhere between 180 and 200 grams mm-hmm. um i think the heaviest one was like 201 or 204 grams and the lightest one was 180 170 170 oh i did have that one at once actually that was the only egg that i think i've marked um i did mark the 170 um and so um yeah i just found that that was very interesting and, and again it goes back to I, I genuinely think we keep retakes too hot and that's why i don't ever foresee myself doing this unless i have to but i don't ever want to go back to gradient style heating again no. Lu- lucas i held this question off until the show but how how was the female pulling off her eggs yeah did you catch her when she was like exhausted or did you wait so she was a little spicy First off, I'll never wait intentionally until she was. <laughs> I don't well, I don't know on. if you if you couldn't get there because of work or something. You know, sometimes I'm very vanilla. Okay, I don't live on the edge. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I was lucky enough that that happened to be a day where I got to go into work at noon because I had no clients before because I'm transitioning into a new job, um, and so I got to see her start laying. Um, long-winded, but I'll answer your question, Nathan. So like I went out to go eat breakfast with my wife, and my daughter. And before I left the house, she wasn't laying. Um, literally an hour later when we got done, I looked at the camera before heading home and she had like already like 15 eggs laid. I was like, Whoa, 
Like this, this snake just started pushing them out. And that makes sense because for four days straight, she was working it, just slithering her coils, like pushing everything down. I, I almost, it was only day 36 that she laid. So I knew we had plenty of time for me to be worried about eggbound, but I was like, why is she moving so much? That video that you posted of her moving the eggs down her mm -hmm. body was so cool. I love seeing like, that. That's my favorite that's part. Awesome. I, I yeah. love seeing that and then seeing you with your daughter uh, actually catching one of the eggs being laid was, I mean, top She's notch. so cute. And I mean, part of the reason I ask about the egg pulling is when I was over there and kind of everyone's worst fear with where she was at was she was up on the that shelf. shelf. Yeah, mm -hmm. not... Uh, yeah, so she um i i fortunately you know got home my last client canceled so i was like i'm out like went home because she was done i could see her on the camera and fortunately i got to her only about two and a half hours she was done she was already fully coiled with her head facing the glass so i was like oh my gosh so i pull the first glass thing off i pull the the second glass panel the door off i set them aside with the door open, I, I get all the egg boxes, like, and everything ready. And then I grab my hook and I just tap her head. And she turns her head away from me and she's looking against me. And then I try just, like, barely going under her. Um, she, of course, is bucking. She turns her head back at me and I'm just using my hook. And it was probably the second easiest egg pool I've ever done. That's awesome. Um, Congrats, because I, I know you were... I was nervous as hell, dude. Worry, she's a yeah. big-ass girl. Yeah, she, she's not a small snake. So, no, I... I and, and I'm still new at this, guys. Position. Yeah. <laughs> and she was on the shelf, and I was worried that she was going to, you know, catch herself at the top of the shelf. But see, another thing about... I got this enclosure for her, a bigger enclosure, two feet tall. If she laid on the shelf of one of the 18-inch enclosures that I had, that would have been... Yeah. Yeah, I would have had no clearance, but that extra six inches did a lot. That's what she said. Um, yes, <laughs> I'm so happy that Kagan cracked before. I did. <laughs> that uh, you like how I paused after I said that extra six inches. Um, so yeah, it was the easiest. Like one of the the easiest the the egg pull that was easier than hers was the Philippine the year before. Again, a shout out to our sponsors tonight. <laughs> right here. If you have ED. Lucas, you better start reaching out. We're giving free plugs. It's okay to be average. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, man. So I have a question for you then. Um, with your altering of, you know, the lowering of the temperatures for the ambient and the snake room, are you also altering any of the incubation temperatures, lowering them at all for the eggs? I'm going lower this year by like half a degree. Mm -hmm. Not because of that, but because I spoke to Paul Lucas and, and I've heard about this many times and I figured I'd try it. My ratios Eric, male to female. even talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. My ratios male to female are usually a little bit more female heavy, but lower temperatures from what we've talked about uh, with, with Paul and I've talked to Eric about it and other people, it's, uh, you know, sometimes ends up a little more female heavy. So I was like, eh, why not? Like, you know, I, I wouldn't mind a female heavy Solaria clutch. You know, we need more mm -hmm. pure Solaria's out there and females is definitely the start because we need them to be alive to lay eggs. 
Um, and so we'll, we'll see how it works, but I also know that it's going to be tough because, um, I haven't bred long enough to where I'm not at the point where I put eggs in the incubator and when they hatch, they hatch. And so Mm -hmm. now we're looking at maybe 90 days Mm -hmm. of, of incubating, um, versus what I'm used to, which is like 84. Mm -hmm. So right now my temperature are well before they were in between 87.5 and 88. Now I'm doing 86.5 to 87. So a degree lower. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the best new year's ever. Dude, that's that's when her expected lay day is. That's or awesome. Or her hatch date, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that that would be really freaking sweet. I had I had my uh my my first Kalatoa clutch laid on uh Christmas Day. Lucas, how do many you, do days, you feel Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. How many days did the Kalatoa clutch incubate for? Um, that was a Partho clutch. And that was a clutch that I actually cut at day eighty two because the eggs were sinking they were looking like crap and i just wanted to make sure all good was in there so i i and i was going on vacation for like a week so i was like you know what let me just like cut a little sliver in here and hope you know that way none drown in the egg whatever the case may be and also because some of the eggs were looking like shit um but that that whole clutch was a nightmare um if we want to talk about like locality and like a, a good healthy clutch my kaiwadi's clutch last year um they pipped on their own at day 84. Okay. Nathan, what about your clutch? Your your uh, phantom tiger clutch? Uh, so that one was a little bit weird. Uh, I would have to look back and see how many days it took for her to lay, but it was... 55. It was in the 50s, for yeah. sure. So it was it was too long for her to lay her clutch, and then I thought she was a boa. I thought she was just going to do the whole thing herself. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, they hatched on day seventy nine. Okay, because I've always heard that. Um, but I had I had some weird fluctuations stuff. with my igloo incubator this year that I didn't have the first time. Uh, so I, I think that played a part in some of it. If you yeah. look at the link below, we have a link to Nathan's GoFundMe for a good incubator. And um, <laughs> we we need to be serious about that at this point. <laughs> Dude, that igloo was causing me way too much stress, man. That the the igloo incubator, the first year, I'd wake up every night and, like my wife would wake me up, she's like the 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 incubator's beeping and I'd hear the thermostat beep beep. So, it pissed me off. And then the second year, I got it set up. I put my Kalatoa clutch, the one that actually did well. I put it in there. I put it in the incubator. Within the first week, I was doing the same thing. I literally like put together an old type of fridge. I went and bought one for 75 bucks, did the heat tape, got fans. Didn't even give a shit about giving it a, a like, I, I let it like get set for one day. It put mm-hmm. my egg box in there, and that thing is still upstairs bulletproof. If I need another incubator, like that... That's Those, almost what I'm going to be doing at this point. It's, it's, I mean, it's they're seems, amazing. Yeah, it seems like a really solid way to go. Also, fun fact is that when you have a fridge like that, like an old school uh, fridge, mm-hmm. um, they're way better than uh, like the PVC manufacturer, like the the you know sea serpents or the one it's that just I got. insulated a lot better pvc isn't a great insulator Exa- yeah my temperatures are always going to fluctuate depending on the ambient in my garage like 0. 0.4 degrees within a day mm. that that freaking 
that freezer was like 0.1 degree fluctuation the entire damn time. And when I opened up that door um, and I closed it, got back to temperature like that, um, I, 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 I need to find a way to get it in my garage. I have extra heat tape laying around. I really do just need to start browsing the classifieds. I just, you know, haven't. I've been wanting to buy a fancy one, you know. So I think right. I just need to change my mentality a little bit for this upcoming season because I don't want to run that igloo again. I, just so... keep your eye on, on Facebook Marketplace and look for either the, um, the little wine coolers or if somebody is selling... What I ended up buying is an old Coke cooler, yeah, like yeah. the full stand-up one, glass door and everything. That's that, what I use. I love that's that. That's what thing. I'm going to look for, something kind of medium size. Mm -hmm. So Bill runs his, and you know how it we was talked to him. Yeah, it was a Gatorade one, and you know how Green Tree he, he had two. He had a Gatorade, and I, I looked at the other one. I, I wish I remembered the brand. Is it like a Maybe it was Snapple or something oh, like that. Oh, it was Snapple. <laughs> something like that. But... um. Yeah, he's been running those for years and years and years. And dude, once you set them up, man, they just they. Yeah, I, I almost no, that, wonder that kind of got me changing my mentality of you know okay, I have to go buy a hot box or go have to buy a Wilbanks or what have you, you know. I I almost thought about pulling the trigger on a Wilbanks, and then I kept like my stomach was telling like my my gut was just like, bro, you built an incubator in like two hours and it's like bulletproof. <laughs> um, so for for i think a total of like 125 and i could probably hold like 200 super dwarf eggs in there Jeez. yeah um, all right you're gonna see a lot of discord talk coming up here shortly. right when <laughs> nate pulls a fridge in the back of his truck home <laughs> i threw my back out <laughs> for a cause though just don't hit your funny bone please <laughs> Every every time I go into that bathroom at work now, I look at the the corner of the shelf I hit, and I'm just like, "All right, no raising our arms in here." Watch me. <laughs> I, I, I rode my I rode my bike into work today, and so of course I had my helmet on, and I I walk in, and I'm like, "I think this is just going to be work attire from here on out." <laughs> That's good. How far into your bike ride did you think of that joke? I mean, as soon as I put my helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just like, damn, how can I execute this? Well, um, yeah. So um, you guys got anything else for tonight? Okay. We can either go one of a few ways. We can. <laughs> Which page are we on first off? Um, page four. Okay. Um, <laughs> we can either uh delve into how the industry views uh percentages of dwarf and super dwarf animals which this was a little bit of a hot topic on the discord I, i'm not ready for this one no so, so one? no okay. me, me and nathan are actually going to potentially make this a whole episode okay like um, i think i think lucas and i agree more than we we think we do yeah. but we we do have a couple little differences for sure so i think that's probably better i think it does deserve its its own full episode yeah because it literally is a it's a good back and forth and and what i told nathan on the phone even it's just uh whether it's it's um what on the phone you were too busy to pick up and were leaving me five minute voice memos <laughs> that was in between clients dude 
I didn't want to have a phone call when I had a client. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but but um yeah, I was sending him like phone call long voice memos. Um I just I think that where me and Nathan's similarities lie is that there's just a lot of gray area. Mm-hmm. Um and we both see the gray area. Uh but like the fundamental thoughts are just opposite. Yeah. So I think it would be for a good episode because I, I really think that the retake community can can learn a thing or two not about that topic but about how to have a healthy disagreement and and be able to still give each other high fives after mm, i like it i like it as long as you bring up your um interest in calling 75 percent the new standard for calling something a super dwarf See, I that's, really that's like where that. I get a little lost. I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. In my experiences with animals I've bred, I'm not quite there. Yeah. There's there's a lot to unpack on that topic. Oh, yeah. And uh Nathan and I I mean, I was about to get anti- antagonistic and pull out my fifty percent Kalatoa, eighteen percent. Right. Well let 18.75% me eighteen point seven five percent champagne. You don't, you don't, you don't want me to pull out my like 11 and a half foot, 50% Kalatoa. That's three and a half years no, I old. Know, I know. And I, I, <laughs> and that's, I, that was why I sent my buddies 75% Kalatoa platinum. Right. That's huge. I mean, we're, well, the, well, the platinum Bro, we're not, we're not getting into it. <laughs> we're not getting, yeah. Platinum is huge in the first place. Right. Yeah, so that, that, yeah. that plays a role too that a lot of people don't think of, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the girl I was about to pull out has platinum in her. Um, yeah. What's up, Kitty? <laughs> That's Nathan's cat always making an appearance. He's sad <laughs> that I'm not paying attention to him. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're on page four out of what? <laughs> four or four. Four or four. Okay. So then let's go to or, the other topic and let's wrap up. Bye-bye. Or yeah. mites. Oh, Would mites. we like to bring up mites? mites okay we can bring yeah, up mites. we need to cover that yeah mites was something that has actually is something that i am finishing i'm on the the tail end of treating um first and foremost if any of you come at me because i have mites i will fight you till mm-hmm. the death um but no seriously like like we like why are mites stigmatized first of all like why why are mites seen as such this terrible Hor- like like when you have to treat them it sucks but like i feel like people get judged really harshly and negatively if they have if they end up with a mite outbreak they absolutely do i mean there's this huge stigma behind having mites equals well your husbandry must just be shit and you're not doing everything you can to keep your animals clean and whatever no man mites can happen whenever you go to a show Whenever you have a friend over that has snakes, if you get an animal in the mail, you know, it's like your friend could send you a snake. And let's say that your friend doesn't have mites, but maybe they reused a shipping box that did have mites in it before. That's a way to get mites. I mean, now, it's just now your friend has mites. Right. Now your friend has mites. <laughs> it's really the crabs of the reptile industry. <laughs> hugging you oh my goodness that's a loving cat cat. but yeah he's he's ridiculous he he was a bottle baby so he's just (laughs) the most needy thing in the world so i i this is the first time that i have had mites with a 
with with my collection the size that it is now. I've only dealt with it once before when I received a snake and and you know got to the rest of my collection when I had like eight animals, mm-hmm. and so that was a very easy like non stressful thing. But now that I got hatchlings and I have like its breeding season, um, you know I like I. I panicked and again not panicked because like you know mites are gonna kill my snakes no but it's just it's a lot of freaking work when you have a lot of animals and on top of that i have animals in my rack right now that people have purchased and i like one thing in my gut so like here's where i think like we shouldn't judge people if they have mites but here's where i think like the judgment is we can start to ask some questions on why people are doing things is when you have mites knowingly and you send out animals without telling the buyer that you have mites. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts to become a little shady. Right. Right. So I'll give an example. Angela, or not Angela, Kagan, sorry. Um, Kagan uh, bought a normal female het ocelot pasha endocarmel from me. I found out I had mites. I let her know immediately. I said, uh, none of them are on that, that, that animal, but let me get things a little more under control. She said, you know, if they're not on them, you know, we can still like, she's like, I have a good quarantine space. And like, and obviously Kagan has dealt with, she has plenty of experience. So she obviously, I mean, you can speak to this. It didn't seem like it was a deal breaker for you to send no, them one way. You know, you had mentioned it and I was like, you know what, man, I've, I've got the quarantine spot set up already to go, which is standard procedure. And it should be standard procedure for anyone getting a new animal anyways. And, um, I mean, I've had enough experience with them where I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I mean, I know how to, you know, not touch that animal and then come directly into the snake room and touch another animal. It's just being smart about it. So speaking of that, um, so naturally I, 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 I thought I was like, damn, I've spoke to a bunch of people about what to do, but, um, I talked to Kagan quite a bit and (laughs) she was a huge help because, um, she has had the experience of working at a facility where mites, you know, a mite outbreak in a, in a collection of massive snakes, like that's hard to get under control. Um, and so, um, I made the switch over from, I had a couple cans of preventamite, but I went ahead and just bought the permethrin and did a, a solution and then also used the good old, uh, test strips. Um, not these mammoth size in every enclosure. Um, but, What's crazy is that I had it on a clutch that I'm consigning and I only found them on like four or five snakes that were in the hatchling rack. Um, and the mites did not spread anywhere else over the last right. month. I got them killed very quickly. Not a single snake has soaked. I haven't seen a single mite, but, but the whole cross contamination, like you're talking about, like, don't go touch that snake, bro. It has made it's so stressful because mm-hmm. you got you got to work with that clutch on a different day than the rest of the animals. I, mm-hmm. I, I bought different tools for all these animals. I, I am treating every animal. Um, and it is, I mean, I can honestly say in the last like three weeks, I've probably spent like seven days going to bed before midnight. Um, but staying up typically until one or two in the morning. Um, waking up at 5.40 the next day for work to get everything under control, and it's been stressful. But I will say the fact that my other clutches that are in the same hatchling rack have not had a single mite on them, I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of different methods that you can use. You know, if you're not comfortable with one method, don't do it. Try something else. I've, I've heard people using the um, NYX lice stuff to treat mites. Mm -hmm. I've heard of people using a certain brand of frontline to treat mites. They don't make it anymore, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I've, I think I did see that. Um, I personally um, prefer the permethrin and um, using the uh, hotshot pest strips. Now, like you were saying, it's really, really important that you use an appropriately sized piece of that pest strip for an enclosure. If you're putting you know, a chunk of pest strip this size in a hatchling six quart tub, that is not going to go well for the animal. That's just too much for it. But if you're, you know, I think for a hatchling six quart tub, I'm using a piece of pest strip that's about the size of my pinky nail. And that's all it takes for something that size. So it's all about just the size for that animal. Oh, well, and when I was over there, Lucas, I mean, I, I haven't dealt with mites myself yet. Um, but the first thing I asked was, why is there cheese in their enclosure? Right. <laughs> because because he, he saw the pest strips. He's like, what? is that what the pest strip is? Yeah. Um, but I mean, even when I was over there, I didn't, we, we pulled open a handful of different enclosures that day. And, you know, I was careful not to touch any of my animals when I got home, but I didn't mm-hmm. see a single mite when I was there. Yeah. They no, haven't so spread I don't know if at you, all. Did you see any in the rack that uh, you were dealing with them in uh, after there, I had left? There was only one baby from that clutch that, you know, the five had them. There was only one that was soaking. It was in shed as well. Mm-hmm. And so typically when a snake is in shed with mites, that's their way of like having a layer of skin so that the, the mites aren't actually like getting to their blood source and it's drowning them. Mm-hmm. Ever since that snake is shed, I even looked at the water bowl. There were no mites in there. Um, and so, um, no, ever, and, and ever since that one shed, I've gone through and, you know, two or three full out cleans and permethrin sprays since you left two weeks ago. And I have not seen a mite now I'm going to continuously treat for another 30 days yes. because they, their eggs typically. Life be, cycle. Th- th- so we think that like most people say their life cycle of eggs is, is 30 days, right? Mm-hmm. But the clutch that I received on consignment I had quarantined for seven weeks without seeing a single one. And it wasn't until five days after I finally introduced them into my collection, almost two months after boom mites. I was like, you gotta be shitting me. So, Mm -hmm. so, you know, 30 days might be the standard, but I can, I can say for a freaking fact that it can be way longer than 30 days. Yep. Yep. It absolutely can. That's, that's the key thing. It's just, just, don't stop treating once you don't see them anymore because those eggs can absolutely hatch and and continue that cycle. Now, luckily, do you have carpet in that bedroom? In the the quarantine room? room? Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 mm, I hate carpet when it comes to mites because like they can really get in the fibers of the carpet and hide because like normally if you're just like spraying down an enclosure um, or in a, in a room where you have a concrete floor or a linoleum floor or whatever, you know, you, there's not anywhere for them to really hide in and you can spray them down, but man, with carpet, they can like, they can hide in there and that is just a pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, and you want to know what the, the, the fun part about all this was, is I panicked. 
Um, again, I haven't seen a lot of experience with bites in person. I've only had one outbreak, but mm -hmm. it just so happened at the same damn time that I had, like, I found mites on one snake at the time. Oh. Um, the only time I've ever gotten a shipment of Aspen from the, the source yes. that I get my Aspen from, I had wood mites. Wood mites, so, yep. so literally with, within the same week, <laughs> I thought they had already spread to like my, my bigger snakes because I was seeing these little like white and some of them were a little brown around the water bowl. But I was like, why is the snake not soaking? Why is the snake unbothered? Um, and then finally, after like Googling pictures and like doing some research, after like panicking and taking everything off of mm -hmm. Aspen and spraying down all those enclosures like crazy. Um, and like almost going manic, um, realize there are wood mites. So yep. I remember you texting me and being like, I hate this so much. Yeah. What the fuck are these? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say like silver lining in all of this was, um, the speed of being able to like, get everything like not spread under control and then the experience in and of itself. Now I know mm -hmm. what I'm going into if it ever happens again, not mm -hmm. if, but more than likely when, mm -hmm. um, that I'm now prepared. I just wasn't prepared before. Like it wasn't right. something that had happened to me with that size of collection. Right. And for those of you that go to shows and take your animals to shows to sell them, that's another place that you could, potentially pick up mites because if another brent vendor brings in animals that have mites on them there's the potentiality that those mites could transfer like you know transfer to your animals whether that be by a customer touching that animal and coming and touching yours which is why you know if i'm ever vending i like to keep a little hand sanny you know do a little hand sanny wipe down with your hands before touching the animals on your table even at um, then there's still a risk oh absolutely yeah, and it's a numbers game. I mean, with as many vendors are at, at some of these big shows, you're bound to have someone with mites at, at the show. Mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah. Just I'm, I'm glad that a lot of shows... So it's, it's how close are you to that booth? <laughs> I'm glad that a lot of shows discourage, um, even though it's really fun to see people bring in their own pets to shows. I'm glad that a lot of shows discourage it because that's just one more venue, whether it be that that person could potentially bring mites in with that animal that they're, that they love so much, or that that animal that they're bringing could get mites from coming to that show. Or, you know? or even something I saw even at Arlington that just, it, you know, it's just an old school thing, I, I think, but I saw a guy who was really stoked on his new boa purchase and he was just carrying it around. The, mm -hmm. the show and the auction and everywhere he could yeah. all day around his neck. And yeah, it's fun to have a snake around your neck, but I just what are we that. risking here and for what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I guess like if I could really um, stop being assholes to people who have mites, it's not a big deal. Everyone's going to get them. If you're, you have a sizable collection, even if you don't, you're getting your first animal, you might end up with mites. Um, mm -hmm. Mites have always been a part of the hobby. Um, you know, judge those that 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 aren't openly discussing that they have it and aren't letting customers know and they are they are knowingly sending animals out with mites and not letting them know. Mm -hmm. Um that that's where I can draw the line and say that's not okay. But mites at the end of the day happen and um, you know, again, I learned my lesson. My my whole thing was like, you know, 30 day egg cycle. I kept them in there for like another two, three weeks after that, just to be safe. And I was good to go. And then mm -hmm. I, I put them in and, uh, literally five days later. So, 
uh, yeah, I'm not going to believe the 30 day life cycle anymore. I'm going to probably now stick to a two month, you know, quarantine period for any consignment animals and, and even longer if I, if I can, and I would have done longer. The issue was that, um, I had a lot of babies from that clutch that were pushing Mm. and at that, and it was not just like one, it was a bunch and I was even dropping the temperatures and, um, I was like, you know what? I haven't seen mites. I'm going to just put them in the larger rack in the garage and and, in the ambient, just in case it is a temperature fluctuation thing. And, and, uh, they stopped pushing, but Mm -hmm. I then, you know, saw mites. (laughs) But again, it hasn't it hasn't touched a single one of my snakes in the same rack and in, in, in the rest of the garage. So that's that's the you know use a separate hook for those animals. Mm-hmm. Um, even use a separate bottle spray because if you handle one to put it into a soak. Oh, by the way, and every time I took them out, I would put them in a iodine soak. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's another um, thing you can do definitely is iodine yeah. soak. Yeah. So, and for those that haven't dealt with mites before or are wondering, does my animal have mites? Um, Some of the areas that mites like to congregate are right around the eyes. So they really like getting kind of in between the scales around the eyes in the heat pits. Um, That's, you know, right in those little nooks and crannies of the face. That's when it gets bad. Yeah. Well, that's like, if you have a really dark snake. That's how you can tell. It's, it's kind of hard to see if you're just like looking like if you have a really dark golden child, it's really hard to see him like just on the on the back. But the face is typically is a little bit lighter. So you might notice like a little bit of swelling of that scaling around the eyes right. too. It, and how I know I caught them really early right when the eggs hatch is because even the ones that had mites, I only could tell because they were soaking and I would see the dead ones on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Never saw one crawling on a snake. Hmm. Good. I'm glad you caught it early. I think, I think because you acted quickly, as soon as you saw it, it prevented, you know, a a bad spreading of it. I'm just thankful that it it didn't end up being that you touched an animal in that rack and then went down to your garage. Uh, no, I mean that, that those animals were in, (laughs) Oh, those animals were in the garage already when I found out I had mites. (laughs) Oh, snap. In, in the same hatchling rack as Panic, other hatchlings. I understand now. Okay, Panic, now. yeah. No, they, if they were upstairs, I would have been chill. Like, there's no reason for me to go manic downstairs in the garage. Uh, but no, they were in the garage when I found out for the first... Yeah, I wouldn't have moved them into the garage if I'd seen them. It was They were upstairs for seven weeks without them. Gotcha. Put into that rack downstairs, and then five days later. Five days it. later, saw them, and then... Um, and, and that's why I'm saying it's impressive that, like, none of my collection... Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a single other snake soaking or, um, or, or have them. Yeah. So I freaking set everything on fire. <laughs> <laughs> you did everything you were supposed to do, Lucas, and it paid off. Oh, one last tip. Uh, if you get the permethrin mix, get like one of those little pest control, little pump spray things that yeah, like you look misters. legit, right? The misters, um, like 15 bucks on Amazon. But um, one thing that, that Kagan recommended to do that I think really stopped potential spreading, sprayed the exterior, all four sides of every enclosure, sprayed it on the floor of the garage. Like I, I was just like, I sprayed it on anywhere that there is a barrier that a mite could have, you know, from my fan just taken off and latched into another enclosure right? or, 
or uh, could have walked over and touched. So yeah, when I saw the first thing I did was separate the baby rack. I moved it forward so that it wasn't touching anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not just the substrate in the tub, but even into the rack where the tubs sit as well. Yeah, yeah. huge help. Thanks for that, by the way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's not right. a big deal, man. People shouldn't see it as such. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. And there's always a learning lesson from it. Now, I'm sure probably there's a few people that are going to come after me for using pest strips or, or you know, spraying permethrin all over the garage. And they're going to say you're killing your animals and uh i'll let you know in a couple months about any of them die like i said it's the crabs of the reptile industry go get your prescription and take care of it so there is definitely a very specific mix of the solution that you have to follow um you don't want to mix it too heavy i uh i sent the very specific ratio to lucas in a text um but this is something that people spray chickens cows dogs cats with and as long as it's in the correct, maybe not babies, um, oh, shit. as long as it's in the correct ratio, you know, it's not going to hurt that animal. Um, you, I mean, when I had an issue um, about a year ago-ish now, I could even spray not on the head or the neck. Um, I didn't want it anywhere in their uh, respiratory area, but, mm. you know, you can spray the bodies of the adults. Larger snakes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't Larger do that with babies. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. I think we covered a huge range of topics. Um, so before I we wrap. I have one more question. Oh, go for it. And it's for Nathan. Have you ever seen a panda in person before? I think the Utah Hogles you used to have pandas. Yeah. But it's been a while. Why? So supposedly at the end of this year, um, all of the pandas in the United States are going back to China. So all of the pandas that we have currently in uh, captive programs in zoos in the U.S. are on loan. And We're doing uh, breeder loans with China, everyone. I just want to say that. <laughs> worse than doing a breeder loan with then Samson. It's been a somewhat successful breeder loan, right? Like there's been U.S. captive born pandas. Well, supposedly um, either uh, the Smithsonian is unable to negotiate a uh, re-up of that contract or, you know, something's going on where they just, they're unable to. It's not an AZAA thing. I'm not sure. Nope. So it says here, USA Today, USA Today, say goodbye to pandas, all black and white bears on U.S. soil set to return to China. Mm -hmm. It's heartbreaking. It is very heartbreaking. So if, you know, those of you listening, if you haven't seen a panda in person before, this might be uh, your last chance to see them for who knows how long. Go steal one. Yeah, I'm, pre <laughs> I'm pretty sure our Utah Hogle Zoo doesn't have pandas anymore, but they're... Uh... They're doing a breeding partnership with the elephants. So we, I went and saw the elephants mm. before they uh, took their final journey. Yeah. So they, so China calls this the panda diplomacy, and for decades, China has loaned pandas to other countries in hopes that it will build ties with said countries. Yeah, China, because that's what we want to. You know, your pandas <laughs> are going to do it. Jeez. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, they're all going back. I, mean, I just thought it would be cool. We did just talk about how much we're going to miss the pandas. So, yeah. 
I just thought it would be Lucas. cool, like if if you know if Aspen could like go to the zoo and get a picture beside the pandas before they're gone, then you could show her when you're older. Look, Aspen, she went to panda. They were real, I swear. <laughs> wanting to go to Beijing anyway. <laughs> oh geez. Uh my my sister-in-law lived in China right during the pandemic outbreak and uh said some very interesting things about being there. But anyways was very lucky she was able to escape to Japan before she was able to get a ride here or else she would have been stuck there for two years. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Yeah. But Patreon members, I don't think we've talked about you guys. Um Always appreciating you guys. We had an awesome live just like a couple hours before we recorded this. And um, if you guys do want to join our Patreon, that link is right down below. Patreon slash The Retake Lounge. Um, and uh, as always, shout out to our sponsors. Appreciate all your support. Nathan, you got anything else before we wrap up? No, we're like 100 or so subscribers away. So hit that subscriber button. Let's give away some shit already. Yeah. Like we have some cool stuff from VivTech that we want to give you guys. So subscribe. Let's give it away. You want to know what I think I hope happens because it's taking so long to hit 1K and this is so petty of me. But I'm, my Lab Exotics, like my, my personal is subscribed. I hope I win it. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I think my Nathan Cats and Cats Reptiles is subscribed as well. So Oh, two entries. You know, we're we're, we're going to be duking it out. No, it, it's only one account. It's only one account. Oh, okay. <laughs> not trying to fluff our numbers that that yeah. much kagan this was an awesome first episode of this new segment we're excited to have you on um more often to just talk, talk ticks. yeah talk ticks tick <laughs> talk ticks tick tock talk ticks yeah <laughs> i really enjoyed it too i mean honestly like i one of my favorite things is just talking about snakes and i don't really get to do that very often so this is this is fantastic I appreciate you guys letting me chat your ears off with my little yeah. schedule. <laughs> no, we're, no, I'm, I'm excited. Keep, keep writing the notes because me and Nathan don't. Um, so, yeah. I was going to say sometimes Lucas and I need this. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but appreciate you guys for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed drop some comments down below. Uh, give us any topics that you want us to talk about during the TikTok segment. 